We thank you for everything you're doing, everything you've done, and what you plan to do. We surrender everything to you, God. Tonight, we don't want to hear my words, my thoughts, or my opinions. We just want to hear your truth. So, Holy Spirit, use me. Speak what you want to speak. Say what you want to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Week four, the good course. Y'all feeling good? Yeah. Good. It's going to take a while. Sit back. Relax. Just a recap for those of you that haven't been here. We've, we have covered Hosea's chapter 1, 2, and 3, talking about the marriage of the bride. Who's the bride? The church. To the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. We've talked about how he is faithfully jealous for us. And last week, we talked about that he has a desire to dwell in us and among us, his bride. Well, going into Hosea chapter 4, the Lord is beginning to make his case um, basically against the people of Israel. Because up until this point, God has outlined and painted a picture of the relationship he wants and the relationship he desires of his bride. But now, after he has told them how much he loves them, after he has told them uh, kind of what they have done and where they have fallen short, now we're starting to see that God makes his case and says, okay, people of God, it's time to bring you into the courtroom. It's time to bring you into the courts of heaven. And the courts of heaven is not the idea of a democratic process that we know as the court. I think one of the most biggest injustices the church does in America is put a Western courtroom philosophy on God. And we get this picture that Father God is up in heaven with a courtroom and a gavel waiting to hit it and make a sentence on the people or not. And we have this idea that Jesus is almost our lawyer defending us against Satan. I want to kind of shift that a little bit. A lot of people get that theology from Luke 18 talking about how the devil's the prosecutor, Jesus is the defender of the accused, and then there's a picture of this widow um, who basically Jesus is defending and God's the judge. But I think we need to shift that a little bit because the issue is that the judge, the father, doesn't necessarily listen, necessarily listen to the petitions of the defense. What's going on, Jesus is not representing us as a lawyer. Jesus is representing us as to who the devil is accusing. So when the judge looks at the ones that the devil is accusing you, he doesn't see you. He sees a perfect spotless bride covered in the blood of Jesus. And the judgment that God is making is not are they guilty or not, is have they submitted to, a, to an identity where I can look at them and, and say, you're spotless. And because you're spotless, the only sentence I have for you is repent. We get this idea that Jesus is defending our case all day long. He stepped in our place and said, when you come at them, you come at me. And I've got my bride. The scripture says that we are to make our petitions to the Lord, but petition is not, God, please, uh, the, please don't look at me as, as, as guilty of something. Petition is, God, I have these desires. What do you do with it? Because you see me as perfect and spotless. And God makes a decision of will he take that petition of your wants and desires and put a blessing on it because you are submitted to your identity as the, the bride of Christ. We, we get in this idea in American culture of begging God, I'm unworthy, please do this. Which is actually contrary to what Jesus did. A lot of songs in Christianity talk about how we're not worthy. I believe we need to rewrite some stuff and say, no, 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 we are worthy. We, need to we, we do not need to take lightly what Jesus paid a price for. He walked into the courtrooms and says, I will take the punishment for what they're guilty for, and you will no longer accuse them, Satan. When you accuse them, you accuse me, and I've paid the price. So if Jesus has paid the price and says you are worthy, how dare you say I am not? Stop saying, I am unclean, when he's made you clean. 
He has made you worthy, so understand that you are worthy and therefore walk. Right? To bring petitions to God, as outlines in Philippians 4, is God, God, you have given me a sentence for my wrong, and the only thing I have to do is repent and walk toward who I truly am. So when the enemy looks at me, he doesn't see a messed up Kyle. He sees a spotless Jesus. Because he doesn't see my blood, he sees his. He doesn't see my transgressions or iniquities because Jesus took the punishment for my transgressions and iniquities. So what is going into the courtroom of heaven? The courts of heaven. The courts of heaven is described actually a little bit in Daniel 7 and Isaiah 66. They're not on the screen, so just, just listen to this. When we see the courts described in Daniel 7, which we did a whole series on Daniel, maybe, maybe we skipped this part, maybe we didn't remember it. But in Daniel 7, it talks about angels ministering to him, the Father, people standing at the Father's attention, and as angels were ministering to the Father, and we stood at attention, the books of life and remembrance were open, as he was sitting on a throne of fire. And it wasn't just any type of throne of fire, but the the symbolism in Daniel 7 actually talks about wheels of burning fire. Pretty interesting, right? Then in Isaiah 66, it talks about the judgment of God as a rebuke with flames of fire. His judgment is a rebuke of flames of fire. So you've got two pictures. Y'all follow me? Wheels representing endless activity. The wheels are always turning. And covered in a fire that is both purifying and consuming, refining and taking out all the junk. In the refiner's fire process, all of the the, the, the junk, all of the inconsistencies, all the bad stuff that's not of the pure essence of the thing rises to the top. So the courtroom of heaven, the courtrooms are an endless activity of refining and accountability to the people of God so that when it's all done and he opens those books, it's not a judgment of what he's going to do. It's an account of what's already been done. So we say, God, bring us into the courts of heaven because I want the fire to consume anything that doesn't look like you so that the end result is an is, is a intentional accountability of if you see me as spotless, I want to become spotless. If you see me as pure, I want all the inconsistency and impurities in me to rise up when I enter into your presence. So it, it, it shifts our mindset of come to the altar to get forgiven versus come to the altar to get refined knowing that you already are forgiven. You ever notice that church has turned into come up to the front to tell the preacher how bad you are? And it's just never, it, it's basically a, a, a Catholic version of confession. We've turned the Protestant church into an altar call. Is, is, this, is this okay? There is a call to confess your sins to Jesus, right? But it, it, it's, it's for the process of purification. Confess your sins so that, so that what? So that all of that stuff can be forgiven because he's already forgiven you. Why can't it be forgiven? Because you're allowing it to surface to the top in the courtroom. I don't know if y'all look at me like I'm teaching false stuff or y'all just like, okay, that's interesting. God is bringing us into a fire. To purify more and more so that we can become exactly as he sees us. And in this chapter in Hosea, we see that he is bringing the people of Israel to the courtroom. Because his goal in talking to Israel 
is not to speak something over them where they will never have access. It's I am bringing you to the courts so I can expose all the stuff that is separating you from me. And I don't know about you, but I so want to be what God wants me to be that if it takes a bring me to the court to get rid of the stuff that I might not even be aware of, bring me to the court. And I believe that the, the degree of the court, if you will, has a lot to do with the people willing to go there. Because we can come to church with the posture of teach me how to be, or we can go to the church with the posture of I cannot wait to worship my king with people who believe the same thing I do. And in that posture of worship and presence, the fire increases to such a degree that when we leave here, we cannot leave the same. Something gets purified. And it's not just a purification for the lost. Because this meeting was never designed as an evangelical thing to bring in the lost people to get them saved. This meeting was designed to give strategy to the saints of how to change the streets. A matter of fact, I took, some, I took notes of something said last night when I was in Atlanta with, with Chuck Pierce. I thought this was really good. You know, he says good things every once in a while. He gave a definition of church from the original uh, Hebrew and Greek, and it came from a word called strategico, which means, guess what, strategy. But literally, it means the gathered ones to gather for more strategy. Ecclesia. Gather together to understand how this government is taken out there. And the only way this government has that level of authority is intentionally being in a posture of we want to enter into the courts. Purify me. So in Hosea chapter 4, this is how it opens up. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 1, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you saying there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Sound familiar? You make vows and you break them. You kill and you steal and you commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That's, that's not today, right? That is why your land is mourning. Did you catch that? That is why your land is mourning and everyone's wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea are disappearing. He says, you want to know why the land's dying? You want to know why the, 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 the air is, is difficult to, so, so difficult to breathe that you've got to have purifiers for it? You want to know why all this is decreasing? There's no faithfulness. There's no kindness. There's no knowledge. You break vows. You kill. You steal. You commit adultery. There's violence everywhere. Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. So your truth must be rooted in something more than your personal opinion or your self-interest. Your truth needs to be rooted in a foundation of wisdom and knowledge of God. And if there's an absence of any of these things, foundation of knowledge and wisdom, if there is an absence of the faithfulness, and the kindness, and the knowledge, and you make vows, and you break vows, and you destroy things, and you're violent, if all those things are evident in your life, then they are fruit of an ignorance, which is an area where there is no fear of Yahweh. It's not let me get the law right so I can be right. It's if I find that I continue to break the law, then that means I don't manage that area of my life in a knowledge. 
And if I'm not managing that area of my life in that knowledge, then in that area, I don't fear God. If I can't love my neighbor, then my theology of love is rooted in something other than the fear of God. Most people can't love neighbors and enemies because you never experienced true love from mama and daddy. So your revelation of love is not rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in what you experience as a child. Therefore, your truth is not in the foundation of his wisdom. It's in the foundation of an ignorant place. Right? How we manage money. Is it rooted in how he says to manage it? Or is it rooted in, I grew up in poverty and I'm scared to lose anything, so I will not give anything. So in that area, you don't apply knowledge because you don't fear God's way. You fear what you experienced. Right? Church. Well, that's not how it was when I grew up. And look at the country that created. So is your theology rooted in his knowledge and therefore fear of his revelation? Or is your theology, your belief system rooted in a religious structure of what you've experienced that actually didn't change you at all? Right? It's, there's an ignorant place and there's a place of wisdom. And you enter into a place of wisdom when you fear him above all else. See, when uh, there's a story, you may have heard it, like about the Egyptians and this guy named Moses, and they were escaping a place called, oh, y'all don't know, Egypt. See, that shows how much y'all listen. Well, when the Israelites were rescued from the Egyptians, it says they walked through the Red Sea, that the, the, the waters parted, basically walls of water. Then when it came crashing down, it, in, in Exodus 14, it says the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the shore. We forget that part. And then something is said in Exodus 14, 31. It says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in the servant Moses. Their revelation of who God was in that moment caused them to put their faith somewhere. There was a personal revelation of the power of God. There was a knowledge, a light Light exposed a knowledge of the power of God in such a way that when they saw that, when they experienced that, they said, okay, we're going to put our faith in that God. So when there is no personal revelation of who he is, your opinion guides you, and you never enter into presence-driven realities. We've got to get to a place, I believe, in the church where I think some of the first things the courts need to deal with is opinion. How do we, do, there's, there's a phone ringing about God's calling. There is, there is a place where everyone has an opinion. Is your opinion rooted in your life experience or in your revelation? Most people don't believe in healing but when they see it, everything's changed. People may not believe in spiritual gifts, but when you see it, things change. Some of you know my story. When I, I, My first ministry place where I was hired, I was hired as a youth and music minister at a Pentecostal church, and I told them in my interview that I did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Within about one month, I knew there was something, there was an issue in my theology. Because the stuff that I was seeing, there's no way it could not be real. You see, the presence of God causes you to put faith in places you're ignorant of. 
And when we are exposed to things of God, exposed to His power, we are willing to shift anything to get in line with who He is. We read about a lot of things, we're, we're taught about a lot of things, but until you experience, oftentimes it doesn't take root. See, these Israelites have probably either read or heard of this God. But when they saw that sea part, there was a shift. Oftentimes, Christians read a lot of ideals. But a moment in his presence can destroy any religious or theological stronghold. I truly believe that the next model of evangelism in the church is unbelievers see a family in the presence of God that shifts atmospheres and changes things because of who we are. It's no longer going to be, let's go out there and hand them a track to show them about Jesus. It's there is some, something the lost are craving that they're going to see and not read about. And, that they are, and these people, the lost, are going to want to come to a room, a place, where the only definition they can give to the people is they drunk. Just like Acts 2. The people came because out of that room, the upper room, they didn't hear a sermon, they heard a sound. Something was coming out of a place of presence, driven reality. And people came flocking to it. And some said, wow, that's God. And others said, what is that? They're a bunch of drunks. The issue is that drunkenness in spiritual realities in the church have been limited to let's look crazy by flailing around. I don't think that that's what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about they look drunk. They put a title of drunk on the people because they were operating in a way that did not make sense to their realities. So the lost don't understand how a people can love like that. The lost don't understand, why is there no gossip among them? If we could just break through that. Can you imagine they were the lost come in and, and, and they say, wow, they're doing things that we don't even read about in the Bible. And they're crazier and greater. And the religious will scoff at it where we just open up the word that says, Jesus says, you will do greater things than I even did. And we say amen, but are we willing to pay the price to go into a court of heaven where we say, God, we, we yearn for your presence to such a degree, burn up whatever it is that you don't want and consume me in what you do want. When we are drunk in the Lord and walking in presence, things will shift, realities will shift, and the people of Savannah, of Pooler, of Effingham, Chatham, and Bryan will no longer say, I want to come to church because it's a good preacher. Or I want to come to church because there's a good band. It's I want to get into this place because I have been searching for something. And I can't describe it, but the something is in that place. And you know what the place is? It's not 505 U.S. Highway 80. It's wherever they gather. News reports, people getting healed in Target. Do you see what would happen? It's not get to the sale on Black Friday. It's the presence of God is falling in the middle of the superstore because a people walked in. Without the intention of trying to get that. Because the issue, I'm meddling a little bit, but is this okay? Because the issue is when a group of people hear this message, okay, we're going to go to Target and we're going to get our iPhones and we're going to put some worship music in and we're just going to lift our hands and walk around the store and then you wonder why the response is security. 
I'm talking about a people where we walk in such a degree of courtroom presence that where we walk, the land has to respond. The people have to respond. And you have that random, hey, I don't know what it is about you, but, but can you pray for me? Or you, you see an issue and for some reason you have this boldness to ask and they have the freedom in the presence of God to speak. Kind of like when, when, when Peter was going the Sabbath and he sees a guy trying to get healed in a, fa- in a fountain. Right? When Jesus is walking and he's trying to get a drink of water and this woman is talking to him about where he's getting the drink. And the next thing that happens is a conversation where he said, you know what, I'm not even going to that city. Woman, you go preach. And she did. And the city got turned upside down because her reality was shifted in a moment because she walked into a courtroom at a well. And everything, that, and everything that was in her that tried to separate herself from the love of God got consumed in a moment in a revelation of Jesus. Is it, is it, is it, this is, and when we walk in that level of presence, look what happens in, in Joshua 2, 8 through 11. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord's given you this land, she told them. See, these spies were on assignment from God. I know God's going to give you this land. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror of Christians. For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts had melted in fear. What did they melt in? Fear. You know what the fear was? They saw presence. Think about people being destroyed. The presence of God is so thick that the, 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 the identity of the people falls down and they resurrect into life. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. The Lord our God is the supreme God. I'm sorry, the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens and the earth below. All it took them to surrender to the majesty of God was we saw what your God did. And we ain't going to fight that. You know what's funny about this? We've been talking about Gomer as a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Just like Gomer. And just as God used Rahab and God used Gomer to paint a picture, God says, look, church, I want to use you, not after you get it right, but I want to use you right where you are. And as I use you, I invite you to the courts of heaven so that as I use you, my fire can purify and refine you into the spotless bride that I view you as. I view you as spotless, therefore you are worthy to do my bidding, do my commands, and as you walk into those assignments, we'll purify along the way. And the church has gotten to a place where it's, let's have great services so that people can experience the love of Jesus so that they can repent of their sins. That's great. But there's also a need to understand that God says in that process, you don't have to repent 45 times to be made worthy to go. I have made you worthy. You see, the courts of heaven are not, are you good enough? The courts of heaven is, you're good enough. Now let's purify whatever doesn't line up with that reality. And he says, if you won't give yourself to me, no wonder why your land's wasting away. Even the animals are leaving. Nothing wants to stay around you because there's no order. It's pure chaos. So our prayer, God, bring us into the courts of your presence and let your fire purify anything I said is not of you. 
church has a call to walk along God, and as stuff is brought to the surface, if there is repentance, let it be, and then walk. God pointed out to the people, you make your own rules, you answer only to yourselves, and because of that, everything's wasting it away. He says, you need to come into my courtroom and understand who you are. If you accepted Jesus, he says, I don't see you as guilty. I see my son. That's why he calls you sons and daughters. When he calls you sons and daughters, it's not inferiority, sons and daughters. When he looks at you as a son or daughter, you've got to realize he put you, this is, this is going to offend some people. He, he put you as a son or daughter as he sees his son. Because he represents you. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't just defend you, but he represents you. And because he sees you as son or daughter, you have the same authority as son to walk this earth in such a way where you're in such a degree of his presence that stuff responds. And we've got to start understanding the truth of that reality. When you love to such a degree that the family members that you've been praying for, when they get around you because you've walked in a lifestyle, they can't help but be purified in the fire. You see, it's not about, well, I, 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 I've been praying for years for this. It, it, align the prayer with your walk. I am continually submitting myself to courtroom wheel-burning fire where it's a never-ending process of refine me, refine me, refine me. I got it wrong, refine me. I got it wrong again, refine me. I, I got this area a little, little short, refine me, refine me. And then before you know it, we as a people, because we've submitted to refining, not proving ourselves as worthy, but refining, that stuff responds. The earth is put back into order. God, bring us into the courts of your presence, God. Look at this in Romans 1, 21 to 25. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to, this, is, this is talking about the people who knew God. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever the shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And in a day where this has happened, we must be a people who are willing to go through the courtrooms of fire so that we can be a people where, where, where animals start to return to authority and, and economy starts to get turned upright and the stuff that the medical community can't heal will be burned up in mere presence. Get, getting to a place where we're not worshiping the thing. We're worshiping the creator who made the thing. If your day is messed up because you didn't go through your routine, you are not in the fear of God. You're in the fear of your religion. I didn't get my coffee. I messed up. Where does your peace come from? I didn't get a chance to listen to praise and worship music this morning. My day's messed up. Have you worshiped the music? Oh. There's all kind of phones. God's calling y'all. He's trying to talk to y'all. That's so lame. So lame. What are you worshiping? The creator or the things he created? 
So God is inviting them into this courtroom process. And look what he says in verse 4. He says, don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. My complaint, you priests, is with you. So you will stumble in broad daylight and your false prophets will fall with you in the night. I will destroy Israel, your mother. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you've forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your kids. Now that's heavy. God has commanded the people to listen and submit to the priests who were supposed to lead and help the people with abiding in the word of God. But the people threw away the knowledge and they wouldn't even listen to the priest. They just talked amongst themselves. And God says, but priests, don't point your finger at the people for shifting. My complaint is with you, religious clergy. Now don't worry, I, I know y'all thinking, okay, Kyle, but I'm about, to, I'm about to shift it. He says, my complaint's with you. The prophets fall in the night, and priests, you stumble in daylight. The prophets fall in darkness, ignorance. You others fall in light. You've got the knowledge. So he says, listen to this. He says, prophets, you've been dragged down to the level of the people who don't know, and you're operating out of ignorance or not knowing, because you think that your reputation as a prophet makes you safe finding safety in what you don't know. So what happens in the church is prophets become people pleasers because they're scared. And all they do is edify, and sometimes maybe even false edification, you know, like, 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 telling, like telling people who can't sing, man, you got a gift up there. And then you leave the church going, good Lord. <laughs> but priests, you know, and you simply threw away the knowledge and allowed the prophets to fall in the night with what's going on in the world. You want to know why there are so many false prophets and teachers operating? Because we have thrown away knowledge and everyone's following suit. And because we throw away knowledge, verse 6 says, my people will perish for a lack of knowledge. Because they're not walking in the thing that produces fruit, wisdom. And he says, when you walk in a place where you have thrown away knowledge, when the church has become a people-pleasing agent, when they care more about the production than the presence. He says, I will, not only will I not bless you, but I will forget to bless your children. They will walk in a curse of ignorance, and I won't touch it until they come back to knowledge of who I am. And notice that it doesn't say perish because of no knowledge. It says perish for what? A lack. Because Romans 1, 19-20 tells us that God has made the truth of him obvious in the ways he created the world. So all have a degree of knowledge, but you experience lack. And God says there's a lack because the priests have held back so that they would please the people. So you've got churches that are saying certain sins are okay because they need their membership up. Right? Or we don't want to offend people's comfortability, so, so we're going to limit the spiritual gifts in church. Right? We're going to start putting these limits everywhere because we, we don't want people to get a word that may offend them. Sometimes the best word will offend you because it offends the you that you're actually not. The point of a prophetic word is the courtroom fire. Knowledge, wisdom, 
The point of all these things is to bring us closer into an identity of who we are with him. Hosea 4, 7 through 8 continues with this. The more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They've exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. What does that mean? It says when the people bring their sin offerings, the priests get fed. So the priests are glad when the people sin. He says they're getting fat off of what they present to the people. Can I put this in modern day terms? Sin so that you have a reason to come to the altar. And we preach a message in church that's a, I would call it a prostituted form of grace, where they say grace covers you, so live as you want, so that, and then this is, this is the, the darkness, so that when you come to our evangelical on Sunday, we guarantee that our altars will be full. Because we're telling you to live as you want, come Sunday, and ask for forgiveness. That's the condition of the church. They make known how sinful the people are rather than introducing them to how great he is. The church makes it all about how bad we are. But God says, show them how good I am and where they can live because that knowledge brings man to repentance. See, he starts his whole chapter off. The people have got no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge. They make vows. They break them. They kill. They steal. They commit adultery. There's violence everywhere. There's murder. And he says, because you priests draw more attention than that. You priests draw more attention to that than my glory. And there's something that the Father's done in the covenant of Jesus that actually is a direct parallel to this passage. You want to know what it is? Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Yes, I'm talking about the covenant of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's all through there. Just read it. If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. You will be my kingdom of... A kingdom of priests, my holy nation, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And then in Revelation 1.6, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. God says, I've made you all priests. So those of you who thought that this passage was pointing the finger at preachers, it ain't just me, my friend. It's all of us. In fact, the King James Version doesn't say I made you my priest. He said I made you priests and kings. So you're responsible for the knowledge and you're responsible for management with the knowledge. God says I will make you the ones who are held accountable to the knowledge instead of depending on the clergy for it. um, Yep. So when we have this rhetoric of I'm, of, of, I need to get there to get fed. He's made you priest to feed yourself. <laughs> he, because you are now all priests and kings, your fall is on you. But you all live in triumph by way of being redeemed by the word. Romans 5, 17, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. All who receive it will live in what? Triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. One man's sin caused death to rule. One man's gift caused life to rule. So the grace of righteousness actually flows from courts of fire. Grace will burn up whatever does not look like him Instead of burning you up for death, you'll burn up for for life. Before him, when you entered into the court of fire, you you would have been consumed unto death. And now, because of Jesus, when you enter into the courts of heaven, you will be consumed 
for victory. And the knowledge of that brings man to repentance. False teaching tells man to keep living in death because of grace. And you, you want to know how much weight that God gives to knowledge? It says in Psalm 138 too, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. You have magnified your word above all your name. Skip that in Bible foundations. He magnified the word that he gave the people above his own name. He says, I magnify the integrity of what I tell you over the very name that you call me. So when he says, I've made you kings and priests, he holds more weight to speaking that on you than his own name. And the church has embraced just praise his name. But in praising his name, you have to hold yourself accountable to his word. And when you start to hold on to his word, there's life. But when you start to hold on to your own word, your own reality, people perish, sin runs rampant, and the earth starts to follow suit with the ones called to manage it and represent it. You want restoration? Take your place as priests and kings who are held accountable to his word. And in his good courts, he says, I will judge you over and over and over, but it's not to send you to hell. I will judge you for the purpose of purifying you into the royal priesthood that I have spoken over you. Speaking to the church. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that God's not sending people to hell. I, I, I would even beckon to say people send themselves. Because everyone has a degree of knowledge. What I am saying is that in speaking to the church, he says, I want to judge you. The whole book of Judges is not a story about how bad the father is. It's how good he is. That all he needs is one to save a nation. All he needs is all he needs for Savannah is just one group of people. All he needs for for the is one representative, just one. And I don't know about you, but I don't I don't want to be known for building a great organization. I want to be known for a people who said yes. Verse 9, Hosea 4. And what the priests do, the people do. I'll need to stop right there. What well let me read it. No, I'm going to start right there. What the priests do, the people also do. So when you, next time you go into the city and you talk about how lost they are, they have done what they've seen the priests do. They're following suit from what the church has become. So now, I'm going to punish both the priests and the people for their wicked deeds, God says. They'll eat, they'll be hungry, they'll play the prostitute, gain nothing from it, they deserted the Lord. This is a very simple law. A seed produces after its own kind. The company of priests have sown seed for this type of people. We have to come to repentance and say, God, purify us so that we can start sowing the right seed. When the lost, all, when all they see is a church who yell at each other, why in the heck would they give up their occult? Because most of them have more unity in their witchcraft than the church does under Jesus. <clears throat> I believe we are coming into a fiery court era where, when God is purifying the church so that people will follow suit to the church designed to be the glory of God instead of the glory of man. 
It says they'll play the prostitute. They will get their needs fulfilled in all other courts that do nothing for them because they deserted me. But God says, I offer a just courtroom for the purpose of purity, life, and increase. <clears throat> Is this okay? Yeah. Continuing on in verse 11, the end of verse 10, it says, They have deserved the Lord, verse 11, to worship other gods. Wine has robbed my people of their understanding. <clears throat> They ask a piece of wood for advice. <clears throat> now, y'all laugh, but I believe Christians have worshipped the cross. It says, bear your cross, not bow to it. Is that okay? <clears throat> okay. Just <clears throat> If y'all don't like that, just find another church. They ask a piece of wood for advice. <clears throat> they think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish. <clears throat> they played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their god. They offer sacrifices to idols on the mountaintops. They go up into the, to the hills to burn incense in the pleasant shade of oaks, poplars, terebinth trees. <clears throat> That's why your daughters turn to prostitution. Your daughters-in-law commit adultery. But why should I punish them for their prostitution and adultery? For your men are doing the same thing. Sinning with whores and shrine prostitutes. Oh, foolish people, you refuse to understand, so you will be destroyed. Isn't it interesting how Jesus praised the Roman soldier who understood the power of your word rather than the location of your feet? I'm going to meddle there a little bit. tell the enemy don't want me to say some of this stuff <clears throat> there are many times where even this church we go to places to pray over things nothing wrong with that can I push that a little bit our faith needs to increase beyond a mustard seed size to understand the power of our word my feet don't have to be there for my word to shift an environment now, here's the thing. If we don't have that faith, get your feet there. <clears throat> there's no, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But let's get to a place where we actually believe when we declare things over, I don't know, Scandinavia, we don't have to take a flight. <clears throat> We've given ourselves over, the, over to the prostitution of where the power lies. If the power lies in the location of your feet, then you've minimalized what Jesus has done because his power was distributed when he left. <clears throat> We're given power to location when there's power in our word. Nothing wrong with go. But th this, this is what Christians have done. We... we I'll go there in a minute. Let me, let me get on this track. We gain more peace from incense burning in nature, thinking that God is there and not anywhere else. Nothing wrong with going in nature and praying. I love it. Some of my, my most intimate times with God is I get to the beach when it's dark and I don't see anybody and no one sees me and I can yell at him and no one hears because the waves are crashing. The issue is when you think his courts are only there. I've, and we, we, we get this, this rhetoric of, well, I've got to get there, and I can't this week, so I need to get there next week so I can get in his presence. You just limited the courts to a place. We need to have a reality of understanding that the courts of heaven are just as powerful in your nasty kitchen <laughs> as going to locations where the greatest revival outpourings have poured out. <clears throat> we've forsaken knowledge what our eyes can see and what we can put our, our hands to, and we've prostituted ourselves to anything other than the knowledge of God. And what our opinions do is we make excuse for all these things instead of allowing the courts to burn it up. Verse 14 says, you sin with shrine prostitutes. You've embraced what you love, and you've postured that as an acceptable offering. 
And because you refuse to understand me, God, and his knowledge, he says, you will be destroyed in the courts of fire. Why is God saying this? He's painting a picture of why we must return. He doesn't want you to, to, he doesn't want you to be the things purified from heaven. He wants you to be the things purified for heaven so that the earth will submit to your purity in Christ. On earth as it is in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. How does earth respond to you when you submit to courtroom? Because the earth starts to see something that it hasn't seen in a long time. It's returning to knowledge. So that all things have to respond to that light. Verse 15. Though you, Israel, are a prostitute, may Judah not be guilty of such things. Do not join the false worship at Gilgal or Bethaven. Do not take oaths there in the Lord's name. The cities of Gilgal and Bethaven had become centers for idolatry. Just a little history of, of Gilgal. Gilgal was once a place where the prophets were tra- trained under Elijah and Elisha. Now it was a center of false worship. You want to hear about Bethaven? It wasn't even the name of a city. They were twisting the name of the actual city. You know what the actual city was? Bethel. You know what Bethel means? House of God. You know what Bethaven means? House of deceit. And he says, you pure people of Judah, don't go back to these wonderful places of old. Don't, don't, don't go to Gilgal because that's where the prophets of old were trained. Don't go to, don't go to Beth-Avon, the place known for the, pre- the, the, the house of God. Don't, he says, don't join them. He says, I want you to establish yourselves where you are and the dwelling place of God where you're at, and your increase will cause them to see you. And that's how I'm going to purify Gilgal and Beth-Avon. What does charismatic religion do? Here's where I was about to go. Charismatic religion says, let's go to Azusa to get the anointing. (laughs) Dang. Let's take that down a little bit. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) That was the perfect timing. He says, this is what charismatic, let's go to Azusa to get the anointing. Well, you know what's happening there now? Nothing. (laughs) She's scared to death, y'all. God, let the courts of fire just. (laughs) Let's turn that down a little bit, please. This is what we do. we put more stock. Just stop. <laughs> I'm just I'm just you're good. Look, look, hear, hear me out. That's my fault. Hear me out. We put more stock in going to a place than understanding that your place is exactly where you're at. Right. Let me use this as a good example since this is like happening right here. This is what church does. If we want a good altar call, we got to get the music just right. I'm going to take this one. We don't need anything for God to do what he wants to do. Right? I believe what God wants all of us to know in this house tonight is that there is a sound that needs to be released from this house. But the sound released from this house is not going to be found in every other preacher, in every other movement, not in Kyle. The sound of this house is the stuff that's happening in the presence we stop talking about, I heard this sermon. We start talking about the, what, what's going on in the presence of God. And that sound is going to cause people to go, where's it at? Mm-hmm. 
because we, we are trying to chase things that have happened. I don't want to go back into what happened. I want to go back into what he's got planned that's going to make yesterday look insignificant. We've got to walk into a truth that the good courts can refine and purify anything, anywhere. And all it needs is a willing people who will forsake their opinions and their ideals for the knowledge of God. Finishing this out in 16 through 19. I hope this has been good tonight. Look at this. He says, Israel is stubborn like a stubborn heifer. A heifer. So he just called the church a heifer. So should the Lord feed her like a lamb in a lush pasture? Leave Israel alone because she's married to idolatry. When the rulers of Israel finish their drinking, off they go to find some prostitutes. They love shame more than honor. So a mighty wind will sweep them away. Their sacrifices to idols will bring them shame. Heifers, cows feeding out in the open. Why were they out in the open? Because they aren't easy prey. So they can be where they are. But a lamb in an open field is very vulnerable to the attack of wolves and the enemy. And the lamb, the sheep, have strayed from the covering of God and they had gone out into attractive open fields that they were, they and we were never meant to operate in. Basically, God says that if you act like a stubborn cow, don't expect to be, to be protected like obedient sheep. He says the only covering you need is not the covering of what your eyes want. It's the covering of my word and my love in my court. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to leave me alone. I want to be under his covering and his protection and his blessing. You see, he left Israel alone because they were feeding in a field that they weren't designed for. The church was never designed to feed in a field of marketing and business structure of we're going to grow the church by showing them how bright we are. Where were we meant to operate? We were meant to operate in a place where his presence was so thick that it could not be contained to the dimensions of a building. That the sound of what was going on among the people of God spread and people came wondering what's going on. God says, if you, land, if you live in the luscious fields out from my covering, the wrong wind's going to sweep you away. But if you live under my covering, you'll be moved by the right wind. The Holy Spirit of God is referred to in the Hebrew word ruach, meaning breath or wind. It's this, this Holy Spirit of God is described as wind. So God, let us be refined in your courts so that when we throw up our sails, it's your wind that takes us and not the winds of a fallen earth. We get to a place where we're not moved by anything other than what the Holy Spirit wants. We're not trying to attract the people by saying, look how pretty we are. Because show enough ain't pretty. It's the people will come to the courts of heaven because there is a manifestation of God that they can't find in their sticks and their idols. They're places of entertainment. I, I, I will go this far. There, 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 there was something in the meeting of the church that the biggest concert at the in-market arena cannot reproduce. And people will run for it. But it's not going to happen until we say, God, we submit to the courts. Refine us. Show us. The enemy wants to sift you from the courtrooms.
But God doesn't want that. So he's bringing knowledge, wisdom. He says, stay in the presence. Stay under my covering. Don't be sifted by the enemy. I close with this in Luke 22, 31 through 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your fate should not fail. So when you repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I leave you with a simple, a simple decree. Don't be sifted by the enemy. Stand in the knowledge and stay in the good courts. Let him refine us into a people that look like heaven. Let him refine us into a people that have crazy faith for the impossible. Let him refine us to where all the brokenness in the world responds to a drunken state of love in the church. Let him refine us into the apostolic movement that he wants for this area. I've heard it in many dreams and visions. I've had the dreams and visions, and it's being confirmed almost every week that there are houses of burning fire starting to pop up all over the area, the state, and the nation. So I say, God, consume us. Burn us up. Do what you want to do. Bring on the good courts. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight?